Thank you, worship team. And boy, I love that song Carol sang. I don't think I've heard that one before, but really powerful. If you will, open the Word of God with me to Galatians chapter 1, please. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Uh, This morning we are going to think about what, TBFers, and I really mean evangelical Christians, and we'll talk about that term in a minute, need to know about Jehovah's Witnesses and and Mormons. And I've been kidding around that uh, a lot of people have the strategy, you know, when the Jehovah's Witnesses come on uh, Sunday afternoon to your door, or when when the Mormons come on Saturday morning, that a lot of Christians like to just hide under the couch until they go away. And, you know, I didn't mean to be insensitive by saying that, and uh, and Ron will tell you this. Last uh, Sunday, he was very offended by that, and he came up to me, and he said, "You know, I really resent the fact you would say that I would hide under the couch in my house to get away from the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons." And he said, "I want you to know, I'm way too big to hide under my couch. Uh, I might hide behind my couch, but uh, rather than Excusing yourself from lovingly and truthfully interacting with these good folks when they actually come to your place, uh, leave them outside. Don't welcome them into your house, but uh, on your doorstep, you ought to show them Christian love and explain a couple of basic things that they need to hear that they're not going to hear at the Mormon uh, stake, they call it the church, or at the Kingdom Hall where the Jehovah's Witnesses meet. So as we prepare for that, let's pray we'll be teachable to God's Word uh, lower left there, I went ahead and put my nephew, Josh Reed, who found out literally on Wednesday. One reason you need to be here for prayer meeting when you can on Wednesday nights is you're the first responder uh, prayer-wise to a lot of things that come up. And I know you're not supposed to read your text during church, but I kept getting this barrage of text from my sisters telling me that Josh, who's in the Navy at Fort uh, uh, Lejeune, had been told like in... In a week, he was supposed to be at Gitmo, get ready, and you got to sell your car and everything. And they've since given him a couple more weeks to get ready, but that's uh, Josh. Uh, and he likes to goof around, so that's not an official Navy picture there. He's kind of got a funny face on, but he's a, it kind of runs in our family. We make a lot of funny faces, right, Sherry? Uh, and Sherry's got a you know, different version of that. Ben reminded me of what actually happened. It was pretty pretty good. So, uh but uh, just listen to last week's message. Toward the end, you can find out what we're talking about. But let's pray for our military, our peace officers, and our firefighters and first responders as we also pray for teachability. And uh, well, uh, where are you, Tom? If you would uh, lead us in opening prayer in that direction. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're going to think about... Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, 
and Mormons today. But uh, first, interesting prayers by little kids. And that's a picture of Cooper, and uh, that's my nose sticking out of the side there. But uh, uh, he's got his, uh, he's got a perfect, it looks like a Varden overlapping grip on that uh, ice cream cone. It's really, he's got potential, I can tell. But these are uh, interesting prayers from kids. Uh, Dear God, please put another holiday after Easter and before Christmas. There's nothing good in there now. Dear God, do you draw the lines around the countries? And if you don't, who does? Dear God, is my pastor really a friend of yours, or does he just know you through his job? And then finally, uh, dear God, this is Jimmy. Thank you for my new baby sister, but what I prayed for was a new puppy. Yeah, let's think about uh, the gospel, because I'm convinced that Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are no physical threat to anyone. They're not going to grab your kids and take them to Guyana and make them drink Kool-Aid, things like that. But uh, this debate isn't just intellectual. It's deeply spiritual, and it revolves around the truth and the content of the gospel. In Romans 1, 16, 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Of course, the power of God and the salvation to all who believe. Now, you'll notice I'm titling this uh, study today what TBFers, parentheses, evangelical Christians. Okay, Gibson? So we're talking about evangelical Christians need to know about Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism. Uh, we get the term, and that word is used a lot of different ways by people in our culture, but the the original meaning of the word goes back to the word translated usually gospel in uh, your Bibles, it's a word euangelion in the original language that when you anglicize it and they go from euangelion and turn it into English, you get kind of a form of evangelical. And the gospel is the power of God that saves because it's the message that because Christ died for our sins, we don't have to die in our sins. It's all about the atoning work of Jesus on the cross validated by his literal bodily supernatural resurrection. Now, the cool thing is when God looks at his church worldwide or in Duncan, and yeah, we know we've got the left-handed bowlers church now. We've got all these niche churches out there, so left-handed bowlers can feel good about themselves. And I, you know, some of, some of my best friends are left-handed bowlers, so I've got nothing against left-handed bowlers. But, uh, you know, you look at the, uh, the essence of the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose again, and Many Assembly of God folks embrace Christ in that sense. They trust in Him. And Methodists historically have trusted in Christ as the Savior. And Southern Baptists and Northern Baptists and Nazarene and Presbyterian and Lutherans and TBF and all the other groups. Now, there are a few that have gone so far left, they deny the essence of the gospel. There are some have gone so far right, they think they've got an exclusive franchise and teach salvation by works. But that's the way God looks at his church. He likes it, it makes sense, and it centers on on the gospel. So you've got to get the gospel right. And Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, that are two different groups and systems, have a different gospel and a different Jesus than the real Jesus and the Jesus of the New Testament. And that's the problem. I mean, when you're thinking about who Jesus is, it's just he's radically unique. I mean, he's the unique person of all history, of all eternity, really. When you think about it. And so when we say that, uh, 
the gospel is all about the fact that this God-man Savior uh, died and rose again. It goes back to eternity past in the mind of God. And in the first Christmas, really nine months before the first Christmas, the virgin conception, you've got the second person of the Trinity taking on humanity in embryonic form without ceasing to be deity so that he is the unique person in the universe. One person, two natures. Not two people in one body, but one person of two natures. There's a perfect righteous life dies for our sins he had none and rose again. So you got to get it right. So today I want to compare what Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons say about the gospel and really about what I call the super seven, just the seven absolute irreducible minimum truth claims of Christianity. And we'll walk through those. And I've got TBF there because this is especially important to us because we don't even have a written doctrinal statement. We all have an agreement as Augustine said, in the essentials, unity. These are the doctrinal essentials. In the non-essentials, Romans 14, liberty. We can hammer out our convictions within the frame of moral and doctrinal truth, even if they differ from mine. And in all things, charity. So we're going to talk about the gospel as the very center uh, truth of these seven IAM essential truth claims. So many of you know this. If you don't, this is a great little system to just carry around with you the essence of the Christian faith, and they break down into these categories. First, who God is generally. What are we going to say about who God is generally based on Scripture and the person of Jesus Christ? We're going to say, uh, you know, the main difference between the Christianity and all the other world religions, you know, the main difference, well, see, the God of Christianity is real. That's the main difference, okay? So we're going to say that God is is true. He's real. And he's the source of all reality. He's personal, mind, will, and emotion. He's triune. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's gracious among many other things. And we won't take the time to go through the uh, really simple acronym I personally came up with uh, to help you remember that. And if you're Swedish, you'll recognize that word. It's Turjlev, which is a Swedish word. I prefer to think uh, T-T-T-O-O-O is two, and J-R-S is juniors, and then live, I got that. So God is true, he's real, he's triune, he's transcendent outside of time and space. He's omniscient, he knows everything. He's omnipotent, there's no finite limits to his power. He's omnipresent, everywhere present in time space. He's transcended outside of time space, but he's everywhere present in time space. He's just, which means he's fair, He's righteous, inherently, morally perfect. He's sovereign. He's got a plan. Didn't consult you about the plan. Not going to consult you about the plan. But he likes the plan. And yet we're not robots. We've got a responsible role to play and choices to make in the plan. He's love. God's a love the world he gave. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And God's grace is a function of his love. He's immutable. God has exactly that much potential. Okay? That much potential, Stephen. Zero. He's totally actual. Everybody else has potential. Sometimes people say, well, that baby in utero is a potential life. No, no. That's a little life with lots of potential. Don't don't use those terms, man, because uh, we had the big rally in uh, Washington yesterday to celebrate the fact that all real women should believe one radical agenda, and if you don't, we're going to hate you. So, you know, if you got to march for something, I guess that's one thing to go for, but... Uh, I wasn't there, so don't blame me. And then uh, 
V means veracity, God's veracity. Uh, God speaks through Scripture. He speaks through science. And if you understand Scripture in context and science in context and you correlate them properly, they line up every single time. And sometimes we can't do that because we don't have enough information. And then He's eternal from everlasting to everlasting. That's who God is generally. Who Christ is. This is the second of seven absolute essential truth claims that millions of Christians have died for. For 2,000 years. This is important stuff. It's not negotiable to be nice. Uh, Christ is the second person of the Trinity who took on humanity. One person, two natures. He's the God-man. He's the incarnation of God. Uh, who we are. Well, we're all GIs and not just Josh and uh, not just the guys on our collage of military people, but we're guilty before God with an inability to save ourselves. You see what? Uh, when Ron read the call to worship, Romans uh, 3.20 says, By the works of the law, no one can be justified in God's sight. Uh, the first part of Romans, chapter 1, 2, 3, to that point, is making a case that religious people can't please God, irreligious people can't, Jews can't, Gentiles can't, and the law isn't the fix. The law isn't a ladder we climb to God. It's a mirror that shows us we're lawbreakers and we need a Savior. So that's what Scripture teaches about us. Uh, that's not what Mormons teach, and it's not what Jehovah's Witnesses teach. What Christ did, plus R, perfect righteous life, so he's not dying for his sins, and an SAS, what does that stand for? Not SOS, it's different. Substitutionary atoning sacrifice. The, the debt I owe God, Jesus paid for in my place. That's not easy to believe. Not easy to believe that. You can't believe it unless you're getting some help. Uh, validated by LBSR, a literal bodily resurrection. What we must do to access that? We believe, as Scripture teaches, salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's only one place in the Bible where somebody's asked point blank, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16.30, what's the answer from the Apostle Paul? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And your whole household, men, men, women, little boys, anybody who wants to trust Christ can do so. And little children uh, have a, you know, in a way they've got an advantage. They haven't quite got so much stuff they got to kind of destructure from their lives. Kids just typically realize intuitively there is something bigger out there. And uh, I trusted Christ as a nine-year-old kid. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, being in the pastor for 30-something years now, that said, you know, I walked an aisle, I signed a card, I joined something, I got baptized, but I have no idea who Jesus is. And I think, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm saved. And you talk to him, and a lot of them aren't, you know. On the other hand, and, and sometimes, because if we have a lot of pressure to get statistics, will any little kid that says, hey, I think I want to be baptized, well, come on, we'll baptize you, put you down, you're a member, good, you're saved now, you believe in Jesus, right? Yeah, okay, that's important, yeah, good. And people grow up and they wonder, what did I do? And did I do it right? So uh, I don't disparage either childhood salvation, because I'm an example of that, nor deathbed conversions, because Jesus believes in deathbed conversions. And the terrorist on the cross who can't sign an, a card or walk an aisle or get baptized says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And the Lord says, today you'll be with me in paradise. On the other hand, uh, I do know that some people... Uh, did psychological or 
other gymnastics at some point in, in a church setting or with a Christian, and they think uh, they were saved at the time, and they have no idea what it means, and so they may not have been. So they need to trust Christ alone, not that He's a helper, He's the Savior. What Christ will do, literal, bodily, supernatural, undeniable second advent. Uh, we're not going to get to another ice age, not with not with Pakistan, the North Koreans, and other uh, radicals with nuclear bombs in their hands. These aren't Maybe they got them. Pakistan's got them. You understand that? Okay. North Korea's got them. So I don't think we're going to, uh, as it raised, be, we may survive the Trump administration, but I, you know, I'm not going to set dates, but, uh, I don't think the end times can be very far away just based on our ability to blow up the planet. And then what the Bible is. Those are the seven absolute essential truth claims that historically all the Christian denominations have embraced despite our differences on a lot of other things. Now let's use those categories, Gibson, and think about what Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons say about those same issues. Uh, the actual official name of, and typically when I do messages like this, I go through the history of the thing and talk about uh, you know, Judge Rutherford for the Jehovah's Witnesses and Joseph Smith for the Mormons. And I thought, you know, I end up doing all the history and I don't have enough time to tell them what they really need to know. So we're just focusing on the core essential faith claims of these two groups. Uh, the official name of the Jehovah's Witnesses is the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, uh, based in Brooklyn, New York. They've got a beautiful multi-storied uh, uh, brick building in, in Brooklyn. And they're all over the world. But uh, notice, they see Christianity as a hijacking of apostolic doctrine that they have re-issued uh, and re-proclaimed to the world. But let's see what they claim about these seven true claims that are the essential essence of the Christian faith. Who God is. According to Jehovah's Witness uh, theology, uh, there is one God in one person, and his name is Jehovah God. And that's, if I had more time, I'd tell you how crazy that is based on the history of the English word Jehovah, but they're convinced there's one God and one person, and his name's Jehovah God. Now, it's interesting. In their translation, the Bible they've got, which is called the New World Translation, if you want to talk to them on your on your door, on your porch, and I hope you will, don't let them use their Bible. It's your porch. You get out a real Bible, because this is not a translation. It was just a paraphrase of the King James based on their theology. But in John 1, 1, here's the kind of things they do to Scripture in their Bible. Uh, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, a title for Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Father, and the Word was God, was deity himself. Okay, That's what the text says. What they translate it to mean, or to say, is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Jehovah God, and the Word was a lowercase g God. And it's very interesting that they're, they act like they're almost offended by the Trinity. They ought to know that we believe that, and they do, but they always act like they're very deeply offended that we've got this three-headed, uh, polytheistic conception of God, which is not what it is. But they actually apparently believe in one and a half gods because their own Bible has Jesus was a lowercase g god. So, you know, if they kind of hang up on that, I would maybe mention that. But they believe in one God and one person. So that's called a Unitarian view of, of God. And so that being true, what are you going to do with the second AIM, who Christ is? I mean, what are we going to say? He's the second person of the Trinity. He's full deity, but he's the God-man. Savior, right? He's the unique person in the universe. What are they going to, they can't say that. They only believe in one God, Jehovah. So they're going to say, 
He's a lowercase g God. He's the first created being, so that's good. Uh, he was called Michael the Archangel in the Old Testament, but then he morphed into a human being uh, during his ministry, and he's just a human being. He's, not, he's, he's got nothing more than Pam Cox or Brad McCoy or Dale Corbin have. He just, was just a human being, but he showed us how to be a world-class Jehovah's Witness, because that's what he was. He was the greatest Jehovah's Witness of all time. Uh, historically, that's called Arianism, because there was a heretic called Arian in the 4th century that said Jesus was a created being. So without realizing it, probably they're all Arians in their theology, right? Who are we? Well, we're not guilty with an inability to save ourselves. We're able to save ourselves, but only through the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. What did Christ do? Well, they, they'll argue about this a lot, but they'll say he did not die on a cross. He died on a torture stake. For some reason, they don't like crosses because they say they're pagan symbols. Uh, but uh, the word staros in the Greek means cross, you know, with an upright and a cross beam. That's what the word means. Everybody else in the world translates it that way. All the historical evidence supports that. But they make a big deal about the implement. Uh, but uh, he didn't rise from the dead. His body is still moldering in a grave somewhere. They say his resurrection was strictly a spiritual thing. It had nothing to do with his body. And basically all he does is show us by submitting to that death how we should submit to persecution in the world as good Jehovah's Witnesses. He's a virtuous martyr. Now, what do we have to do to access uh, their system and, and go to heaven? And in fact, as Ron will tell you, according Jehovah, to Jehovah's Witness teaching, nobody goes to heaven except for the 144,000 best Jehovah's Witnesses of all time. You read about the 144,000 uh, in Revelation 7, Revelation 14, where it specifically says they're Jehovah's Witnesses. No, it doesn't say that. Uh, now realize Jehovah's Witnesses didn't, weren't started until the 19th century. So when John describes them in 7 and 14 of Revelation, he's talking about 12,000 men from the 12 tribes that will come to faith right after the end times start, and they'll survive and preach Christ through the entirety of the seven-year tribulation. That's who they are. But uh, only the top 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses of all time go to heaven. Other good Jehovah's Witnesses will stay forever on a renovated earth. Now, uh, I, I think I've said this from the pulpit before, but uh, I remember one time we did have a Jehovah's Witness and they come two by two, and typically the older one is pretty well trained and has all the answers to your objections, and the younger one is learning. So for that reason alone, you ought to treat them with great, you know, give them some credit. At least they're, they're out trying to do the right thing, and they're very sincere. So be kind. Don't be rude, crude, and nasty. Uh, if you're not hiding behind your couch, like some people do, uh, grab your Bible, or better yet, just hit them with a clear verse like John 3.16. Think of something that blows their categories. But, uh, yeah, we had a Jehovah's Witness come to our house one time, two of them. And, uh, you know, what they try to do, they have a, a, they have two magazines. One's called The Watchtower, one's called Awake. And they go to their kingdom halls several times a week and they study the articles in those magazines, which come directly from the leaders who know everything in New York. And then they are trying to teach you something, a hook, from one of those magazine articles. So they're well versed in whatever the magazine article is saying. And that's what they want to talk about. It's your porch. And the issue is the gospel, so don't let them talk about you know some uh, theologically vague conception of what uh, the first hundred years of the millennium is going to look like. Talk about the gospel. But I asked the guy, just point blank, he was he was talking about whatever he wanted to do, and I said, hey, let me ask you a question before 
we get too much further. I said, uh, what, what must I do to be saved? And I was specifically giving him Acts 16.30, where the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And as soon as I said it, I thought, oh great, you know, he's going to recognize that verse, and I know they programmed it with an answer for everything, so he's going to have an answer, just a flip answer for it. And he said, you've got to obey the gospel. Which is a pretty good answer. And as we're going to see in First Peter, Peter talks about obeying the gospel as obeying the call to believe the gospel. So if you're, you know, whoa, but here's the thing. And this is, this is why James and I sometimes can help you on certain things. You get, when you go to get certain kinds of theological training, you realize what somebody says isn't what it means. It's what they mean by what they just said. You've got to ask them. So I said, what do you mean by that? Because I said, what do you got to do? What must I do to be saved? And the guy says, obey the gospel. Which is, you know, I could say that and then go to John 3.16. But I said, what do you mean by that? And he literally and chillingly said, you've got to keep all the laws and the commandments of the Bible. And I went, I mean, I dropped my big gulp. I said, huh? You obey the gospel by obeying all 100% of the laws and commandments of the gospel uh, of the Bible, you can't, I said, you can't do that. <laughs> and more importantly, I can't do that. <laughs> you know? Uh, but, so be careful, because, uh, but that's what they think. They, you, you're saved by, and you've got to obey all the laws and commandments of the Bible as interpreted by the Jehovah's Witness, or the Watchtower Tra- Bible Tract Society, headquarters in Brooklyn, New York. What Christ will do? Well, he returned invisibly. In 1914, that was the first of four false prophecies about the coming of Christ. In the aftermath of that, after about half of them left, they said, oh yeah, we meant he'd come invisibly. And he's going to come back later, and it's always real soon, they say. And the scripture says it could happen at any moment. It's imminent, but it doesn't necessarily say it'll happen soon. It'll happen suddenly when it happens. Uh, but he's going to come back, and his main job is going to be destroy, to destroy all non-Jehovah's Witnesses. So, what the Bible is. Now, they believe, they'll tell you that they believe the Bible's the inspired word of God, but they mean their version, which is not a translation, it's a bad paraphrase based on their theology. I mean, I could do that myself. I could write the Dallas Seminary Bible and just change everything uh, and exploit it or explain it based on our categories, which would all be correct, you know, but it wouldn't be a translation, it'd be a paraphrase, right? Uh, now you might say, nah, I don't, Brad, you're, you're exaggerating. They're not really that bad. Here is a, uh, a scan of the Watchtower several years ago, but this is their position. Thus, the Bible is an organizational book and belongs to the Christian congregation as an organization, which means the Jehovah's Witness, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, not to individuals. This isn't, Lindley can't pick it up and understand it. There's no way she can understand John 3.16 without their help. They'll tell you what it means. Sit down, shut up, we'll tell you what it means. We've got these two magazines, read the magazines, Got door to door, make some points, knock it. And by the way, you know, the more you 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 suffer as a Jehovah's Witness, the more points you build up in the system. So a higher position you're going to have on the renovated Earth because all the 144,000 spaces that tell them have already been filled. So you know, don't give them that kind of comfort. They, and at one level, the harder it is, the fewer results they get, the better it is because it's that much more. You know. Uh, get more equity that way. So be be kind, be extra kind to these people, and be be charitable to them. But yeah, they're saying uh, the Bible's an organizational book, belongs to the Christian congregation, us, Job's Witnesses, as an organization, not to individuals. So don't pick it up and just read it. You won't be able to understand it. Uh, regardless of how sincerely they may believe they can interpret it. Yeah? Uh, 
For this reason, the Bible cannot be properly understood without Jehovah's visible organization. And they actually have a set of books called Studies in the Scriptures, which tells them what the Bible means. And then we got a group of apostles in Brooklyn, 12 of them, that come up with new ideas from time to time, like you can't have blood transfusions and things like that. Um, there are exceptions. If one of their kids needs a blood transfusion, then God tells them it's okay this once. These things happen. Okay, This is dangerous. This is spiritually toxic stuff. Not good, not fun. On the other hand, these dear people that come, especially the younger one is being trained, they need to hear John 3.16. Okay? I mean, the Bible explains itself. Okay? The, the Bible is God's elephant gun. You don't have to spend an hour explaining uh, the uh, dynamics of illumination. Just show them something they can't repudiate with their system. Uh, John 3.16, great. Although, trust me, they've, they've got lots of lessons in John 3.16 that'll explain it away for you. But pick something a little bit less, uh, conventional. And, and one reason I love, one reason I love Romans, uh, 4, 5 is because nobody seems to quote it, but it just is incredible. Uh, but to the one who does not work, but believes in Christ who justifies the ungodly, that person's faith in Christ is reckoned as righteousness. I mean, that's, that's it, okay? That doesn't fit their system. So put a seed of doubt there, and it's just possible, even though that newbie who's with the old uh, veteran going door-to-door that day, maybe tonight or next week he'll pull out one of those non-Jehovah's Witness Bibles he hides at home because he'd get in trouble if he had a real one, and he'll look that up in context because there's no way you can read Romans 3 and 4 and be a Jehovah's Witness. There is no way you could read uh, Romans 3 and 4 Ron read a, read a chunk of it for call to worship. You can't read that and come up with their system, which is why they take the Bible out of your hand, give them study of the scripture, give them magazines, and they give you a paraphrase to explain away all the good stuff. Okay. So, and by the way, they, they used to call this the Green Bandit because when they came this, and they, you know, we shouldn't make fun of people, right? Unless you're Donald Trump, that's okay. But anyway, um, they call this the Green Bandit for because the, the first edition or two for decades. It looked like this. And I, this is green, right? Pretty bright green. But then because uh, evangelicals, it was probably some smart Alex Southern Baptist who came up with this term, the green bandit. But we all called it the green bandit. So now they've, they've gotten smarter, and these people use uh, high-tech graphics and stuff. So their Bible looks more like this now than this. But it's the content they've changed. And again, it's not a translation. It's a bad paraphrase. And it's a theological paraphrase. Okay? That's Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, let's think about the uh, aims, the super seven truth claims that are the essence of Christianity and compare that to a different group. Uh, we tend to call the Mormons, but the official name is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the Book of Mormon is something that Joseph Smith wrote that talks about Jesus appearing to Native Americans a couple hundred years after the resurrection and, and doing things he didn't actually do and stuff, but uh, that's the official name. They're based in Salt Lake City. And again, I'm not doing a history lesson today. I want to focus on what they're actually believing so you can understand kind of where they're coming from. So let's use the same categories and kind of walk through what they're saying about these these issues. Okay, who God is? Well, Lorenzo Snow, who was... Uh, you've got uh, Joseph Smith founded the religion. After he was killed, Brigham Young took it over and led them west to Salt Lake City, which is why they have Brigham Young University in Salt Lake City. And Lorenzo Snow 
knew both uh, the founder, Joseph Smith, and was an associate of Brigham Young. And he crystallized their whole theology nicely as saying this, as man, and they mean Mormon males, as Mormon males now is or now are, God, the God you read about in the Bible, once was. He was just a human being-like person on another planet. As God is now an exalted human being over our planet, they say, they really mean our solar system, man may become. As man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may become. Uh, Mormons believe that the God of the Bible is just a glorified human-like being who earned his godhood by his merit on another planet. He lived on a different planet and was such a great person, he got promoted to godhood. Lowercase g, I would use that. Uh, he was put in charge of earth, and he produces spirit children through his many celestial wives. All of us had a pre-existent as spirit beings that we were produced by cosmic relations between, uh, they call him Elohim, which, you know, they're like three major words for God in the Hebrew Old Testament. Elohim, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Yahweh and Adonai. So he's picking one Hebrew word and saying, that's the, that's the real God, you know, which is, that's a, that's called, uh, there's a, that's just kind of a logical, uh, logical error there. But anyway, yeah, so he's cranking out all these spirit beings, and you don't re- remember it, but you had a spirit life because he and his wives created you in that sense, the reproduction. And uh, now he kind of just watches the system flow. And so we would say, theologically, if the Jehovah's Witnesses are monotheists and Arians that believe Jesus was the first created thing, uh, Mormonism is polytheistic. They believe in lots and lots of gods. The God of the Bible is just one of many, many, many. And if you're a really good Mormon male, you can become one too. Right? That's what they believe. First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I'm all for it. All I want is a level playing field. they got a right to believe this stuff, but don't believe the PR. They're just another Christian denomination. They're not a Christian denomination. They're nowhere close. They're talking about a whole different conception about God, Jesus, humanity, the atonement, uh, soteriology, and eschatology. Other than that, they're like that close, you know. Who Christ is. Jesus is a created being. He was one of the spirit brothers of Lucifer. And his humanity, You want to, hey, James, you want to tell them about that uh, scene from the 1970s movie, The Godmakers? Uh, okay. You should have heard him on Friday. He really went off on that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they believe that Elohim came to Nazareth and had relations with Mary. And that's where Jesus came from. Okay. The, the two clean-cut, they look good, man. They got dark pants. They got a white shirt on. They got a tie. They're riding bikes. They're fit. Uh, they vote Republican. I mean, it's great. You know, you got to love them. Uh, they'd be great neighbors. But uh, they actually believe this stuff. Okay? And it's blasphemy. Right? So that's not good. Uh, who we are. We're able to save ourselves through good works. Uh, ideally, by means of Mormonism. But they believe in three different levels of heaven. And so the, the good news is, i got good news and bad news, Dennis. It's just a, a nice guy and a, uh, as an evangelical Christian that's not an expert in Mormonism. Uh, you know, you'll probably make the second or third level of heaven. The only people according to uh, 
the church uh, policy that don't go to heaven, one of the three levels. The, the highest is only for Mormons married in a temple. Second one's mainly Mormon, a lot of good people in the second one. And everybody else especially goes to the third one. Uh, the only people that go to, to the outer darkness are heretics and murderers. And heretics are people like me that know better and don't believe this stuff, okay? So technically, we should have had a disclaimer over the front door today. Beware. The Mormons are right. You're going to the outer darkness now because you know enough, you know, you know enough about the system to believe it. But I mean, knowing about it, I think is pretty shocking and almost repulsive to biblical thinkers. But this is not what they're going to start you with when they come to your door. They're going to say, hey, uh, you're a Christian, you're a Baptist, you're you're a Presbyterian. You got a tangle with Bible fellowship. What's that? Just don't even go there. Just just tell them you're a Christian. They say, "Hey, we believe the Bible, but we've got stuff to add to it." In fact, three different things. Here's one of them: Book of Mormon. Uh, yeah, so we're able to save ourselves. And it'd be nice if you're a Mormon, but if you're not, you're going to go to one of the heavens anyway. So it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, at one level, I mean. It, you know, the, the Mormon church is the second largest financial institution west of the Mississippi River, okay? Because they're strict tithers, and, you, you know, if you want to go to the highest heaven, maybe give 12 or 15%. I mean, these people just are sacrificially giving it, but they're doing it. That's not really giving. That's investing, <laughs> which is a great thing, too, but it's different. You know, biblical giving is you're giving, and you don't have it anymore. Somebody else does, because God will give you what you need, even though you don't have that X, Y, or Z you just gave away. I'll give you anything I've got but my driver. I finally found a driver I like. You're not going to get my driver. I'm sorry. Um, my wife's not here, so she's babysitting this weekend at Tulsa. What Christ did. This is really important because they'll use our terms, but they translate it with their system. So, in effect, they have no problem with Ephesians 2.8.9 because they can explain it away. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. Stop. They believe in a general salvation and a particular salvation. And general uh, salvation was uh, purchased and obtained for us through the death and resurrection of Christ, which overcame the effects of the fall that killed all of our spirits. And now we have a living spirit in us because of the death of Christ. And when we die, our spirit will leave the body and go somewhere to one of the three heavens for the vast majority of, of, of humanity and down to the outer darkness for murderers and heretics like me. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so that's what they call salvation by grace. So when we talk, they'll say, hey, Dr. D, so glad to meet you. Oh, you're a Christian? That's wonderful. Uh, we're Christians too. We just add some stuff. And you've been saved by grace? Hey, we've been saved by grace. And again, you got to say, what do you mean by that? you got to obey the gospel? What do you mean by that? You've been saved by grace? What do you mean by that? What Paul means by that, read Ephesians 2. You cannot read Ephesians 2 and be a Mormon. But they don't read Ephesians 2. They read little chunks and the, the people, the guys behind the curtain tell you what it really means. And it doesn't mean that. They're not going to read the scripture and end up where they are. So his death gives a universal salvation, meaning everybody has consciousness after death now. We wouldn't because uh, if it hadn't been for the uh, uh, effects, the cosmic effects of the death of Christ. What do we got to do? It's strictly salvation by good works. Uh, Salvation by works or merit to one of three different heavens. And this is a, kind of a schematic of that I found on the Internet. Uh, we've all, we don't remember it, but we had a pre-mortal existence in the spirit world because Elohim and his cosmic wives enjoy each other's company uh, like all day long and produce these spirit beings. Okay, It's billions of them, so that's good. 
then you're born on earth, and when you die, your body dies, but your spirit uh, goes into a holding tank until the resurrection. Almost everybody goes to paradise temporarily, you know, a few thousand years or whatever, and murders and heretics go here. And then at the resurrection, after the second coming of Christ, they do believe in a literal second coming, there'll be a judgment, and really, really, really good Mormons and those associated with them will be there. The celestial is the highest uh, level of heaven. The terrestrial will be most people will go. And even people that uh, did horrible things but really kind of felt sorry about it, especially at the judgment seat, they get to go to heaven. It's uh, the lowest heaven, but it's really nice. It's, it's like a really nice country club. It's not Pebble Beach, but, I mean, this would be Augusta National uh this would be uh, Lawton Country Club, and that would be Twin Oaks. It's kind of like that. So we're all playing golf, but it's not exactly the same thing, you know. And here, this is you working at a driving range, picking up range balls all day long, and never able to hit them. And I did that in high school because my parents were on a driving range. So I know how that feels already. But that's really what they're saying. So they believe in three levels of heaven, and they don't believe very many people would go to the outer darkness. And that sounds good to the average American because they don't really like any kind of moral accountability and really a final scale and stuff like that. So that fits into that system real well. Uh, what Christ will do, he's going to come back, literally, and set up uh, a, a Mormon utopia based on the graphic I just showed you. And then what the Bible is, well, they'll say, hey, the Bible is the written word of God, but then they have a disclaimer, Bible's true as far as it's correctly translated. And again, that's right. You're right. That's one reason some of us learn Greek and Hebrew, so we can kind of look at the x-rays and, and tease out some of the fine distinctions. But what they mean by that is the whole thing is pretty corrupt, and you can't really count on the Bible. And what you really need is the Book of Mormon as your guide. And then you can read the Book of Mormon into the Bible, and then you're going to be okay. And then they also add two more uh, works, uh, Doctrines and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. And here's a, a Mormon Bible you know, it's just one, one pretty thick book with all of it. They've got the Old Testament, New Testament, and they tend to use King James. So they don't, they don't have their own paraphrased, you know, defective translation or, or version. They'll, they'll use King James typically. So that's a, a good translation. But the, what's the problem with the King James? Those of us who know it and love it call it the King Jimmy. But, uh, it was finished in 1611. Has the English language changed any, maybe a little, from 1611 Middle English to modern Oki? A lot, okay? So when Jesus says, suffer the little children, forbid them not. Suffer, what do you mean, kids are suffering over there? Yes, help the kids. Suffer in 1611 meant allow, permit. Words change their meaning over time. So yeah, they've got the Old Testament, New Testament, but they had the Book of Mormon, Dark and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and there we are, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's a that's a Mormon Bible. Boom. You got your money's worth today, people. Just to let you know. Uh, talking about their view of Scripture, uh, the Bible is true as far as it's correctly translated, but it's only one of four volumes. And again, you've got to use the Book of Mormon as the prism through which to make it out. Plus, uh, the apostles in Salt Lake City are the ultimate arbiter in what the Bible means which is weird because it changes. You know, when Brigham Young in the early 1800s took them to Salt Lake City, they kind of built their own thing, and they were kind of a territory of the United States, just roughly. And then later in that century, they wanted to become a state because there were federal benefits and, and funding and stuff that were going to benefit from that. 
Uh, and basically Washington said, uh, you can't be a state because you people condone polygamy. So in 1890, the apostles of the Mormon Church of Salt Lake City had a vision from God that said, no more polygamy. It was perfect timing. They said, hey, no more polygamy. Okay. And they're, they're a state, you know. Uh, it's 1975. Civil uh, rights movement is moving. We're actually believing that people of different color skins are just as uh, American as we are, you know. It's only one race, the human race, right, according to Scripture. But uh, that was a good thing. Uh, and they had been teaching since Joseph Smith that people with dark skin, black people especially, weren't qualified to be full priests in the uh, Mormon church because they were sons of Ham, and Ham was the bad boy, you know, of, the, of Noah's family, and they're stained, and they're, you know, ever forever second-class citizens. And then in 1975, the apostles of the church heard a new revelation from God. He said, what? What did you say? You said black people are okay now? Okay, okay, yeah. Hey, blacks can become priests now. Now, it's a little bit more sophisticated than that. But, I mean, they, they get ongoing new and uh, unique uh, novel uh, information from God that abrogates previous church doctrine. So you never quite know where they are on anything because it can change uh, in a heartbeat. So my objective this morning uh, really wasn't so much to teach you about JWs and Mormons, but just to make sure you've got a frame for your convictions, you can kill around in your head, and that you can use to kind of show the difference between us and them. It's not just a personality conflict here at all. And here's what I would say that I'd like you to walk out with beyond that. I want you to know the vast majority of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are nice and moral, and they're very sincere in their belief, and they're not a physical danger. This isn't a Jim Jones cult, we're going to drag it to Ghana and have you drink Kool-Aid. They're not going to do that. The reason the kingdom halls don't have windows isn't because they don't want you to see what's going on, but because they're trying to throw those things up on a shoestring. And it's just, and plus, over the years, sometimes good American Christians have thrown rocks through their windows, you know, trying to make a point. And they just, just much cheaper when you're trying to maintain all these kingdom halls all over the world. Uh, the Mormons do have a lot of secret ceremonies. But you've got to be a Mormon with a temple recommend to be involved in that. And their ceremonies sound amazingly similar to Masonic ceremonies. It's pretty obvious that Joseph Smith plagiarized all that stuff from from them. But that's not the essential deal. We're focusing on the very most important parts here as we look at the Super 7. But here's the thing. We, we treated these in a parallel fashion today, Ben, but they're totally different systems, okay? But they have the same basic glaring error because they deny who God is and who Christ is and what salvation is. They all deny the the big things, but in a different package. So don't don't think these are organically connected. They're not. One parallel is that they'll knock on your door from time to time. Have you ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your house or a Mormon? I mean, I I have. It's been a while, and I'm kind of kidding. I used to I talked to these Mormons, you know, for 30 minutes or 40 minutes just because I thought maybe I can give them something to think about. And then I realized my neighbor next to me, who's kind of like uh, on the Bewitched television show, he's got these binoculars watching me do stuff, you know, uh, watch me take out the garbage. You know, I'm not paranoid, but I do have some enemies out there. And I thought, <laughs> you know what? He's going to think I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I spent so much time. But I'm not backslapping him. I'm just, just kind of interacting with him. But it's been a while since they've visited our neighborhood for whatever reason. But uh, the problem is these folks 
are devoted to systems of thinking and organizations that are biblically flawed. I think we've demonstrated that. Theologically and factually incorrect and spiritually toxic. They're sincere, but they're breathing carbon monoxide. So I would say, well, what do you got to do? What should we do with them? I would say, let's give them heaven. Yeah. I mean, have a go-to verse. Don't let them preach their stuff. They're going to try to recruit you to a Bible class so they can fix you up. Uh, and it's your chance to share the gospel with them. They're right there. You know, we always feel guilty when we don't witness enough. Now we got somebody just asking us, tell me about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. And you know what? The sooner you get to that, the sooner they will want to leave. You know, if you don't want to waste a lot of time with them, just go to a clear Bible verse. Now we got to go, you know, kind of thing. Now watch this. Let's analyze this. This is why I say they're so spiritually toxic. By denying who God is, generally who Christ is specifically, they're denying the deity of Christ and they teach a false concept of God and of Jesus. By denying true guilt and inability, they teach people they can save themselves, and I call that the ultimate do-it-yourself project. Uh, by denying the gospel, the atoning sacrifice of Christ, the resurrection, they blaspheme the very core of Christianity. By denying salvation by faith in Christ alone, they reduce Jesus from the Savior to a helper. He's just helping you work it out yourself. And that's, that's blasphemy, as we'll show you in a moment before we close. By making the second advent an exclusive affirmation of their unique organizations that both started in the 18th century, they're very recently new, historically speaking, they hijacked the program of God, and by claiming the Bible cannot be understood apart from their organization and their group alone, they strip Scripture of its authority, its objectivity, and they chain themselves to human leaders. You know, we got human leaders around here, but I can tell you, there's no, there's, as far as I can tell, there's no danger that any of you guys are going to drink, drink Kool-Aid because we tell you to. Because, I mean, uh, you wisely, I think, compare anything we say and do against Scripture, and you don't follow us as sycophants. Is this word they're using a lot. So I looked it up. I can't spell it, but uh, I don't see a lot of sycophants at uh, TBF. Why, why go there, Brad? It's just distracting to them, right? Uh, this is a, from a Jehovah's Witness uh, website, and it proves uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are true. Start here. God chose the Watchtower Society in 1919. This is when they uh, went to the second generation and finalized their translation there. Uh, how do you know that? Because in 1919, only they were teaching the truth. I mean, that's obviously, right? But then they say, what about the th- stuff we taught back in 1919 that we've been told now is heresy? You know, like wrong dates for the resurrection or for the return, pagan symbols like the cross, uh, worship of Jesus. They don't worship Jesus anymore. They they wrongly worshiped him early. They still believe the stuff they that we talked about, but they didn't realize that since he's not God, they shouldn't worship him. 1919, stop worshiping Jesus. And, and they were taking blood transfusions back then when it saved their life. Well, this is okay. For God's perfect organization, because the light is getting brighter. Couldn't that be true of other religions? No. Only Jehovah's Witness teach the truth. Sit down, shut up. We'll tell you what to believe. Don't other religions believe they teach the truth? Yeah, but that's because Satan's blinded their minds. Couldn't that be true of Jehovah's Witnesses? No, because God chose the Watchtower in 1919. 
This is the way these people think. Bless their hearts. Uh, it's called surgical, re- uh, sur- surgical, it's surgical, all right. Circular reasoning. It doesn't, pr- you assume what you're trying to prove, it doesn't prove anything. Watch this. This is what scripture says. First Corinthians 15. First thing I did when I came to Corinth, the stuff you stand on, the stuff that saves everybody who believes it, was to preach the gospel, and here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried, rose again, the third day according to Scripture. That's it. They don't believe that. Second Corinthians, uh, written several years after First Corinthians, warns about false teachers who would interact with Christians and churches but proclaim another Jesus than the one the apostles proclaimed. And this whole thing that Jesus can help you earn your salvation is insulting, blasphemous, and ridiculous. As Paul says in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify, water down, uh, dilute, poison the grace of God. For if righteousness, what you need to go to heaven, comes to the law or any set of works, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, or any Baptist, or TBF, then Christ died needlessly. If, gay, if you can work your way to heaven, Jesus doesn't have to die. Jehovah's Witnesses just say he's just a human being showing you what a good Jehovah's Witness will do. They'll suffer any persecution. doesn't matter. God's going to let Jesus die just to make uh, one, you know, as an example of something you got to figure out on your own. Then in the same book, Galatians 3, that was the first, the yellow one is, is 2.21. Uh, the white quote is uh, Galatians 3.21.22. For if a law if Jehovah's Witness rules, uh, if all the laws of the Bible, for that matter, if the Mormon teaching uh, could have been given, it was able to impart life, then righteousness would have been based on law, would have been based on merit. But Scripture has shut up everyone under sin. You know, we're in debt. We're a debtor. We can't pay off the debt. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to the one who believe, believes in Him. So it's really all about Jesus, you know. And I think ultimately, if they come to your door... Uh, I would I would suggest strongly screw up your courage, say a quick prayer, grab your Bible, or just have John three sixteen or something in your head. Be very kind. Don't take their stuff. Don't buy their stuff. They're selling anything, and don't let them give in their spiel. Just say, let me ask you a question. Uh, you can say what most of to be saved, or uh, have you ever heard this verse? And then just rattle off John three sixteen or uh, Ephesians two eight and nine or something like that, and see what happens. And realize that typically you've got young 19, 20 year old kids if they're Mormons at your door and you've got a veteran and a newbie Jehovah's Witness and they're not going to hear Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Jehovah's Witnesses will. I mean, the Mormons explain it away as we've told, told you. But it's all about who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? Jesus, Yeshua means God Savior. Lord corresponds to the Old Testament covenant name for God, Yahweh. He's God. And Christos, or Christ, goes back to the anointed one of Psalm 2, the one designated by God to be the issue and the issuer of eternal life. Okay? So let's have a word of prayer. Father, uh, light banishes the darkness, and uh, knowledge overcomes ignorance, and I pray that uh, you would embolden us not to in some sarcastic, self-righteous, arrogant, rude way to correct these people, but let us go to their hearts Let's realize we've we've got some truth about Jesus they need to hear, and the Mormons aren't going to tell them, or the Jehovah's Witnesses aren't going to tell them. And if we just can even recite a John three sixteen and wish them a good day, uh, that can plant a seed that you can use and, and change their lives. So we pray that you give us not a fear 
uh, not an aversion to interacting with these dear people, but that we'd be uh, happy to do so and ready to give an answer, as First Peter 3.15 says. And just generally, Lord, keep our eyes open. I pray that uh, all of us can think more clearly about the essential truth claim, claims of Christianity now as we kind of think through these seven categories so we can very consistently think and respond to all that happens to us in, uh, in life uh, from those truths and especially centered on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.